Well, it's great to see so many of you here uh, for this sixth Jim Rose Memorial Lecture. My name is Rob Berkeley. I'm director at the Randomly Trust, for those of you who don't know me. And we're very lucky to have uh, David Lammy, uh, MP, here who's going to give our lecture. Let me say a few words first about uh, Jim Rose. Jim Rose was a remarkable man, uh, a polymath who had several careers, um, or several phases to, to his career, from uh, RAF intelligence uh, to Bletchley Park, to becoming a journalist and then uh, leader of the press, the International Press Institute, um, and liter literary editor of the, of the Observer. In 1962, he was made uh, director of the Survey of Race Relations, which in 1969 was published as Colour and Citizenship, with, uh, written uh, in conjunction with Nicholas Deakin. And in 1968, he was a co-founder of the Runnymede Trust. In 1968, uh, our founders, uh, Jim, along with Anthony Lester, set up Runnymede to counter racist propaganda and to promote racial justice. And this is a legacy which Runnymede uh, still continues to this day. Research is at the heart of our work, and we've currently uh, engaged in research along a number of fronts in education, financial inclusion, uh, some work on the riots, uh, some work on hate crime uh, and policing practice, as well as uh, data transparency. But we also are very keen to think about how we enable change and how we are part of the change that we want to see, which is racial justice in the UK. And we've been holding uh, deliberative assemblies, uh, using video and social media a huge amount more. Um, in the last year, we've opened uh, three pop-up shops uh, in major cities across uh, the UK to speak to people about uh, racial justice and their hopes for it. Um, we're using crowdsourcing and, and new forms of data collection to try and uh, get closer to, the, to uh, the answers and solutions on racial justice in the UK. Um, and we're also uh, holding the Secretariat for the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Race and Community, of which David is the chair. As Runnymede enters its 44th year, our challenge is to ensure that uh, the struggle for racial justice remains at the heart of our political discussions and political debates. And for that, we need your help and support. It's great to see so many here. There's an overflow room also um, full of people who are listening in. Um, and building the kind of partnerships that we need to make the kind of change on racial justice that we hope to see, um, I think is a crucial task. And there are some little things that you can do even today. So do follow us on Twitter and Facebook and share this discussion uh, much more broadly. Um, the hashtag for this evening is, is LSE Lamy, uh, so it'd be great to see uh, people uh, communicating in that way. Sign up for our mailing lists uh, and also donate to support our work. Uh, it doesn't come for free and we, we struggle to, to get the kind of funds that it takes uh, to have a, a bigger impact in this area. So our speaker tonight, uh, the Right Honourable David Lammy MP, uh, is MP for Tottenham, 
uh, Tottenham born and bred. Uh, he was elected in, uh, in 2000. Um, has been a, uh, was a Labour candidate for the newly created GLA uh, and had the portfolio for culture and arts there. Um, but since been elected as Labour MP uh, for Tottenham uh, in 2000, uh, also took on uh, a range of ministerial posts in the last government um, in uh, Department for Education and Skills, uh, in Health, Constitutional Affairs, Culture, Media and Sport, uh, and Innovation and Universities and Skills as well. So a broad range of experience across, across government. Um, and as chair of our all-party parliamentary group on, on race and community, has been a stalwart voice to raise these issues uh, within parliament and beyond. Um, so without further ado, I'd like to invite David uh, to give the sixth Jim Rose Memorial Lecture. Thank you very much, Rob. I'm very, very grateful to, to be here uh, this evening. I could be in the House of Commons. Uh, I could be voting uh, at 7 o'clock for an issue that I think is important to um, London's BME population, and that is to vote against the government's cap. Uh, on uh, housing benefit and their refusal to understand what that's going to mean for um, a lot of people in London. Um, and I might be in trouble with my whips for not being there to vote against the government, but I took the view that this lecture was important and so uh, I am here. Uh, I was asked to do this by Rob I, literally uh, a week or so after the riots in August. Um, and my initial attitude, you remember, I, I hardly slept, was, look, Rob, this is not my number one priority at the moment. Um, uh, we got a date fixed. Um, I'm glad it was there in the diary. Um, it was not my intention to be dominating the mail on Sunday, the weekend before the lecture, or indeed my desire, uh, but you will understand that the nature of politics is such that these things sometimes happen. This is a very important subject, um, and I'm following in a very important tradition um, in making this lecture. And I think that both Jim Rose and Anthony Lester, who brought us the Runnymede Trust, in a sense, um, to progressive, liberal, um, uh, uh, white men... Uh, at a time in our history when race was particularly difficult, coming together um, with the wider black community to um, ensure that we had both the Runnymede Trust bringing these issues to policymakers year on year, fighting the good fight, but also actually a tradition like this um, in Jim Rose's honour is really, really important. Um, in making this speech, I am attempting not to be completely parochial, just to my constituency um, in Tottenham. Uh, if I were giving a lecture or a speech um, to solely an audience in Tottenham, I would say slightly different things. Um, uh, I am attempting also not solely to be a black politician, as it were, 
um, I'm tempted to range across a broad range of issues, and there are many on the table at the moment. So some of you in the audience will have particular things that you probably would like me to talk about for a full hour, but uh, by necessity, um, I have to be brief across a range of subjects. I just caveat that right from the beginning. I think the important place to start is to start with where we are at the beginning of this century. Uh, and this first 10 years of this century has been pretty tough. In fact, if you go back to the last century, and I'm not predicting a First World War, um, uh, you had the openings up of recession, um, you had real problems in Europe, um, and you had strong differences of opinion emerging around race and political ideology. And at the beginning of this century, we have had September the 11th, we had the bombings in London, we've had a decade, certainly the first half of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of this decade, preoccupied with climate change. We had one ray of sunshine with the election of Barack Obama in the United States. We've had huge economic downturn. And if you think about those issues and think about their relevance to BME populations particularly, this is a turbulent period into which I'm having this discussion. And indeed, riot and recession go together. So that's the backdrop. It's a panoptic backdrop. It's an international backdrop, as well as its effect on London more um, locally. And in representing the constituency of Tottenham, I talk about Tottenham a lot, as you would expect. It's my home. I love it. I care about it. I was raised there. But of course, I could be talking about a lot of other ums. By that, I mean Lewisham, or Peckham, um, or Brixton. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Harlem, or Watts, certainly parts of Paris, Berlin, um, and there would be other places in the Western world particularly affected in similar ways. So uh, the parochial here has application beyond that. I think it's important to, to me to draw some contrast between Tottenham as you might have found it in the early 1980s when I was just entering my teens and Tottenham as you find it today. Uh, the Tottenham I grew up in was dominated by three or four big communities. Uh, Caribbean communities, um, uh, white Cockney kind of former East End communities, an Irish community uh, and a newly arrived Cypriot um, uh, uh, Greek and Turkish community. Tottenham today is over 220 languages, is the most, N15, the most diverse postcode in the country, probably, most definitely, I think, the most diverse constituency um, in um, Britain, in Europe, and potentially the world. That's important because some of the caricature of my constituency almost gives the impression 
that it is solely made up of the three communities that made it up in the 1980s, and that is not the case. And actually, that diversity means that there are different experiences of race and the impact of race. Now, obviously, in some of what I have to do, I have to say I'm particularly concerned with parts of the black community in its narrowest sense. But it is to say the context for me representing Kurdish um, Turks, representing um, Ghanaians and Nigerians, uh, representing Somalis and representing Eastern Europeans is complex and varied and brings very different kinds of demands and different communities with different capacities actually and different traditions. Um, but it is still the case, whether in the 1980s or now, that this is a constituency uh, with amongst the very highest unemployment in London as we speak, with 43 job seekers for every vacancy. Um, it's a community in which 80% of children are growing up um, in poverty. It is certainly a community in which this debate that we are having today in the House of Commons about the working poor and about their access to housing is extremely pertinent because my constituents are usually doing two jobs. They are a cleaner and a dinner lady. They are a security guard and a minicab driver. And actually I shall come back to what that means in terms of not just a living wage, but what that means for your ability to be there for your parents, uh, for your children, even if you are doing the very best that you can. And I don't think that that context has changed. In some ways I think it's got worse since the 1980s. It is profoundly sad for a community like Tottenham and indeed for our country that we now have a few places in the country that have seen two riots in a generation. And that is hugely sad for the people that live in those communities. For me, it's been particularly poignant on two levels. It is hugely depressing to see some caught up in the riots in the 1980s, sometimes imprisoned or criminalized as a result, to see their children caught up in riots 20 years later. When we on the centre-left talk about the scars of not getting employment right, of not getting education right, of not getting opportunity right, of not getting the balance in relation to racial justice right, I saw those scars this summer. But it is also a huge problem that despite the concentration on one day in August, the vast majority of people in my constituency stayed at home 
26,000 young people stayed at home. Um, And much good has been going on and is going on in my constituencies, in my constituency, in different neighbourhoods, in different buildings, in schools. In fact, we got the best GCSE results this year, the best A-level results this year. And it's hugely important that in balancing this discussion, we don't stigmatise areas like Tottenham such that there can be only one narrative, only one stereotype about what is possible. And I say that with great sensitivity because I remember what it was like applying for jobs with an N17 postcode and worrying about whether you would be interviewed because people assumed that you were from a tough area or a rough area or you were caught up in the riots and therefore they didn't want you. And that has obviously a huge effect on young people. So I think the context for where we are, despite similarities, is slightly different. It's different because um, the riots that we saw this summer involved more than just one race. Um, uh, It's different because the issues, I think, behind the riots are more than just about um, the initial wounds that create riots. It's different because actually the policing, we saw a massive vacuum on this occasion that allowed people to pour into an area from way beyond that area with their own intentions. Um, uh, And therefore, uh, for me, the book that I have written, um, Out of the Ashes, Um, and let me just get on record all of the proceeds going to charities in Tottenham not to me Um, uh, uh, attempts to look right across the range of issues that I think are relevant and um, tonight I will try and touch on some uh, of those um, issues but what we do know is that the majority of rioters were young the vast majority of rioters were male Um, In fact, over 90% of the rioters were men uh, or boys. And clearly, uh, with a high or amongst the highest unemployment rate um, in the area, this must have been pertinent. And if we look at the stats, despite some of the positives, uh, particularly um, for parts of the community, um, we see the double hit. So black people three times more likely to be out of work. Uh, Black Caribbean boys three times more likely to be permanently excluded than their peers. Uh, In 2009, despite the progress made in the last government with going to university for young people from inner city areas and in Tottenham it went up a hundred percent In 2009, there were more black British students at one London university than the whole of the top 20 Russell Group universities put together. In fact, a young black man is three times more likely to end up in prison than in the lecture halls of a Russell Group university. And then, alongside that, 
an underlying issue that I return to, as difficult as it is, and that is that 65% of black Caribbean children are being brought up by a lone parent. Um, this has financial implications, if nothing else, but um, I'll return to some of the others' implications as well. So where are we in 2011? I throw those statistics out to, I hope, give some sense of the complexity, I think, as to where we uh, are. And also to say that, or to push this point, that yes, some of those issues will be down to discrimination and racism, but it is clear to me that not all are. Um, it is clear to me that we are in a place where we have also to look at different levels of resilience, capacity, cultural norm within community, um, as well as what would be the traditional race dimension. To put this in simpler terms, the two big battles, if you like, on a social justice level of the 20th century were equality and inequality. Um, we have clearly, under the law, made some progress on equality, most definitely, um, with two race relations acts and with a very different context in Britain to my father arriving here in 1956 um, and seeing, um, you know, uh, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs on the doors of some of the housing he would have liked to have got. Um, massive progress in the employment market as well. So clearly under the law, there has been progress in relation to equality. And that's not just for black and ethnic minorities, progress for gay men and women, progress for women as well in relation to equality but yet there's still more to do and there will be many in this audience that think that stop and search is one of those more to do there will be many in this audience who will think that the um, uh, uh, inability for the metropolitan police in a diverse city like London to look like Britain is more to do. But equally, in a recession, after a year of growth, or a period of growth, sorry, it is also clear that inequality is back on the table and that we have to be as preoccupied with inequality as we are with equality. And that is inequality for lots of people, whatever the colour of their skin. And then I think alongside inequality, there are broader issues, cultural issues, that I would want to return and to challenge. And that's often to do with modern culture as well as um, individual um, racial um, cultures. But let me just be clear um, in relation to the riots and racial discrimination. History tells us that riots usually start with a spark. 
they usually start with some profound sense of injustice. In fact, whether you are looking at um, Watts in the States, or the Paris suburbs, or Brixton, or Birmingham, or Bradford, or indeed Tottenham, it usually starts with someone dying, usually at the hands of the police. And that was the case, obviously, in the summer in relation to Mark Duggan. Um, and not just the death of Mark Duggan, but what we now recognise as some of the subsequent misinformation that didn't accord with people's understanding of Mark Duggan that was put out shortly after his death. I'm not going to go into detail about the death of Mark Duggan because it would be inappropriate for me to do that when there is an IPCC um, investigation looking at that issue, except to say that within the battle for social justice um, and looking at those who find themselves the most vulnerable in that battle, it is clear that with 300 plus deaths in custody over the last decade and a and really a sense that no one has been prosecuted um, uh, for that. That feels like a serious injustice. And whilst I think there has been progress since the old police complaints authority that ran into disrepute, it's clear to me that with Tomlinson, with Smiley Culture, and now with Mark Duggan, the IPCC and the confidence it needs to command from minority communities is at a profound turning point and much is expected of them and many are concentrating their scrutiny on whether this body is actually the body that feels like it represents all of our um, interests. And of course, that is because, in a sense, this comes on the back of Scarman, it comes on the back of McPherson, um, it comes on the back of the very clear knowledge that black people are seven times more likely to be stopped and searched, Asians twice as likely, but the arrest rate for those stopped is less, or not even, 1% higher than uh, white people uh, stopped or searched. And the truth is, again, this is not straightforward. I do not agree that this is the same as the old sus laws. And the reason I don't agree that this is the same as the old sus laws is because I recognise a pitched battle back in our history in the 1970s, early 80s, between what felt like a very oppressive police force and the black community, particularly black youth. I think today, the new ingredient is knife crime. And having sat with so many parents who've lost their kids to knife crime, 
Um, it is hard, uh, and if those parents were here or many were here, it is hard not to recognise that the urgency and the political pressure that's been brought to bear to do something about all these knives on the streets. Um, now, you can then talk about whether that doing something in the shape of stop and search is actually effective. <laughs> but nevertheless, I think the context into which we see Section 60s and uh, notices and this acceleration um, is slightly different. But I also think that what's actually important is that I believe passionately and I um, have spoken to the new commissioner about this, and I welcome his new attitude to these issues, and I was here for his lecture a few weeks ago. I believe passionately in a model of policing that is based, one, on community policing, which I think is a major advance of the last decade or so, but two, also on policing by consent. This is not America. This is not France. Our police do not routinely carry guns. And if you like, police by fear. Because if you've got a gun, it's a very different policing model. We have policing by consent. And I would want to stand up, and I suspect everyone in this audience would, and defend that model. But there is a big but. At this turning point in our history, in this very multicultural global city looking at this audience here in one of our leading world universities, I have to say an audience that is wonderfully representative of London, you have to ask yourself how you're able to ha have that model working to full effect if the institution is not representative of the community it serves. And so I think it's unacceptable that with 32,000 officers, we have 868 black officers. That is not sufficient progress. We do need a Met that starts to look more like you would expect if you were on um, the streets of New York. And that is because you need that inbuilt trust and let me say also that beyond just racial diversity, I want to see more Londoners in the Met of whatever colour. Young people, men and women that have grown up in Camberwell, in Brent, in Pimlico. I worry that current practice on travel and on housing is leading to a situation where the overwhelming, and I recognise the Met is our national force, but the overwhelming amount of officers are coming from Surrey, from Hertfordshire, from Kent, from other forces, because I think that also that means that London loses that sense of a force that's for itself. And I think that that also plays into who is stopping me and why they're stopping me? And who is making this assumption that I am doing something wrong or that I'm carrying a knife? I think that that is particularly um, relevant, that issue of trust and then, of course, of leadership, 
we do need more than just three black chief superintendents out of 73. Um, uh, we do need more than eight black superintendents out of 176. We need more than 22 black chief inspectors out of 391, it seems to me, um, in um, London. Race and discrimination then, but also, of course, not just issues of equality, issues also of um, inequality, if you like, and challenges going forward. And in this time of economic downturn and tremendous pressure, my sense is that we are at a crossroads. We can repeat some of the mistakes that were clearly made in the 1980s, um, uh, uh, or we can recognise and learn from that period, and even in tough times, get some of these issues right. I would say we should be very, very worried that the areas predominantly that saw rioting have amongst the highest unemployment in the country. Very worried indeed. We should be very worried that too many of our young people are currently really on the dole at home with very little to do. It's not rocket science that when the summer comes, it's not healthy to have um, young adult men with nothing to do. Um, and it's interesting that in the two wards around Tottenham High Road, we have in Northumberland Park Ward, around the Spurs Stadium, the highest unemployment in London. And of course, if we link it with Tottenham Green Ward, those wards, not, not now constituency or borough, but those wards have higher unemployment than the entirety of Nick Clegg's Sheffield Hallam and um, uh, David Cameron's Whitney constituency in um, uh, Oxfordshire. That is an issue. Um, and my strong view is that the work programme is not sufficient, uh, partly because what people need is work, not training to get work that doesn't seem to be there. And I had a little set to on question time uh, uh, about these apprenticeships, because again, whilst that is used as a line, the reality of those apprenticeships doesn't seem to be coming through in constituencies like mine, certainly not in the sorts of numbers that mean that you should laud it like it's going to make a difference. My own view is that it was a mistake to get rid of the Future Jobs Fund, because a lot of the young people I was seeing on that Future, future Jobs Fund had a black and ethnic minority profile, and they were occupied in the voluntary sector in the um, public sector, doing things and moving on. And the absence of that and the youth contract not having started is deeply, deeply worrying. And of course, the fear that this youth contract will feel and look like the old YTS scheme. Some of you will remember the old YTS scheme that wasn't worth the paper it was written on. So unemployment 
we should be very, very worried about the levels of unemployment we are seeing in communities. And because this isn't the 1980s, unemployment is not just relevant to young adults' absence and struggling in the employment market. Of course, um, immigration being with us and having been with us for some time, when I talked about the complexity of the community I represented um, at the beginning, it's also important for me to um, stress the intergenerational complexities. Um, when we talk about um, the black community, we have a black community of first-generation immigrants arrived here in the Windrust period, of second-generation immigrants, uh, not immigrants, a second-generation part of that community, like myself, born, raised, 1970s and 80s. And then we have third-generation. Some of them were some of the people we saw on the streets. And actually, um, employment is in affecting all generations. Um, it is still the case that where there is employment for um, uh, BAME populations, it is largely in the public sector. And guess which sector's being cut? So mum and dad are unemployed, and then children coming up are also unemployed. That takes us, actually, to a very, very worrying place. Um, I actually think in the context of London in the 80s, it, 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 it was not quite that bad. It feels more like some of the issues you saw in the north of England, in towns where whole industries had been lost, parents had lost work, and young people were coming up without work. And we know the effects of that in cities like um, Middlesbrough, Hull, parts of Newcastle, Gateshead, Salford, and actually the huge amounts of money that have had to go into those areas to try and regenerate, to deal with that long-standing um, scar. So real issues in relation to um, inequality um, as well. But I, in my book, essentially have a simple premise, and that is that the 20th century, um, in terms of ideas, had two big revolutions. One, well, both were liberal revolutions. The first, of course, the social liberal revolution of the 1960s, and the second, the economic liberal revolution of the 1980s. And in a sense, in 2011, we are living with both the successes of these revolutions, but also the challenges of these revolutions. The economic liberal revolution of the 1980s has clearly ensured that British politics no longer talks about abolishing capitalism, uh, but about giving people a stake in capitalism, or responsible capitalism. How we civilize 
capitalism. And indeed, the uh, socialist vision was actually one of civilizing capitalism. It wasn't about abolishing capitalism. We would hand that to our communist and Marxist friends. Socialists wanted to civilize it and were concerned particularly about employment rights as a way to make that uh, happen. And then the welfare state as a way to create an insurance against the ravishes of uh, that um, capitalism. And of course, the social liberalism, many in this room would feel deeply committed to because it was the fight against racism, the fight against sexism, the fight. I was being reminded the other day about the first Stonewall marches in London and the beatings that those men and women received for standing up from their rights. I think it was in the mid-60s and the advances that we have made. Um, so huge progress there. But whilst we are less judgmental of one another, it feels to me in 2011 that we are less compassionate, we are less civil and supportive of one another. That the two liberal revolutions combined and unchecked have sold Britain short. Uh, we may be less judgmental to one another, but clearly we are living in times that have ushered in a new era of hyper-individualism. Um, a my rights culture um, uh, seen as the freedom to say absolutely anything you want, however nasty, horrible that is in this new environment. Um, a um, reducing and a reduction, I think sometimes, around issues of race to solely an issue of language. Let me defend Alan Hansen. Alan Hansen struggling on match of the day. You could see his brain working. Shall I say black? Oh, no, it doesn't feel right. Coloured. Oops. And a phrase that actually began as an inclusive phrase may feel pretty old if you're in London to use the phrase coloured. But nevertheless, a phrase used um, at a point in time as a way of not um, saying other words that were, were, were not very nice, like Negro, is then used against him. Diane Abbott, similarly. And what I mean by that is that human understanding that people sometimes make mistakes and that we have to allow a space where someone can apologize and we can move on. And actually, some of the profound challenges that still exist in our society, the sorts of challenges that lead to murder, and we recognize some progress in relation to the death of Stephen Lawrence as I say that, the profound challenges that still exist in relation to the employment market 
merit wider and deeper discussion and policy solutions. We should not allow, particularly sometimes actually on the left, a shrill debate that reduces this to a very narrow, almost politically correctness that is solely about language. It is much deeper, much more complex, and it seems to me if we lose our tradition for compassion and humility and sorry I made a mistake, then we lose dialogue. And losing dialogue runs counter, ironically, to a liberal, civilised tradition. And of course, I don't need to tell this audience about the real challenges that exist in relation to that second revolution, the economic liberal revolution. Uh, and how that sense of economic freedom has led to gross inequalities in our countries. Over the last decade, the poorest 10% have seen a drop in real wages, whereas the richest 10% have seen a 37% uh, increase. 80% of the increase in national income over the last decade has gone to people with above average income and the wealthiest 10% are as rich as the poorest 50%. CEOs of banks continue to be offered millions of pounds in bonuses when it is clear that the staff cleaning that bank or keeping that bank secure is not yet able to make a living wage. The ravishes and the trouble that economic liberalism has got into, it seems to me, at this point in our history are profound. And I posit these two liberalisms because I think they prevent or present real challenges in relation to race that need to be further explored. I do not pretend I have all of the answers but add a deeper complexity than solely a debate about racism and discrimination. Part of what I saw and I wrote about in my book, when I see people smashing and running down shops like JD Sports, is a my right entitlement culture, helping myself Part of what I see from certain industries, it exists certainly in the music industry, it exists certainly in parts of the sports industry. Indeed, when the chief exec of JD Sports said it's fine, it shows our brand is doing well. <laughs> Seems to me that there we have social cultural norms played out and repeated uh, particularly to certain communities that are deeply problematic. And part of it is the resilience. You can't ban, obviously, advertising and other things, but it's the resilience to hear but not totally absorb and to have a diversity of influences coming in to your home. I say to my young cousins in Edmonton, you know, what is all this grime and gangster app blaring out of the TV day after day, hour after hour, when there are 700 channels 
on the television station. But of course, in the modern society, you, it's very easy to live in that silo. Some of you will live in a Radio 4 silo. A Guardian silo. It's still a silo. So that is a new complexity, very different set of challenges to the 1980s affecting our community. And those are cultural. And they feed, I believe, and play on a kind of liberalism that says anything goes. And I'm not sure anything does go. I think we have to have a healthier debate about some of these issues. And I wanted to explore that across um, society um, at large. And I do want to challenge cultural norms within parts of my own community that do think it is acceptable and fine that 67% of Afro-Caribbean children are growing up with just one parent. It can't be fine. It's not fine socioeconomically because one income is never as good as two. Simple. Um, and it is clear from all the psychological evidence that young men finding peer group and finding masculinity in peer group relates to gangs. And so there are big issues within community for addressing that and for being responsible if you have children. Understanding the commitment you have to make long term to the lives of those children and the financial support and love that those children need and understanding that some of those cultural norms that may have been appropriate in previous eras, in previous countries with large extended family do not work in London. And I've taken a bit of stick for saying this but it is the truth. And you can't lay that at the door, it seems to me, of other people until you've been willing to address those issues yourself without, of course, stigmatising anyone growing up with a lone parent. And let me say, I was raised um, by one of those tough, strong, beautiful black women. And I am hugely proud of all that she did to get me here. So... In terms of policy solutions, it is clear to me that many of the debates we are currently having have a strong BMAE face. The debate in Parliament today about a benefit cap is about the working poor. It is not about scroungers. Um, it is about people who are security guards and dinner ladies and cleaners who need that top-up to care for their children and have housing. And the exodus that they will be making over the coming weeks from inner London to outer London and the overcrowding we already have in Tottenham doubling over the next period. And as I've said before, we will see in London scenes similar to what we see in Paris with all the social consequences of that in the years ahead. I said it first. I'm very sad to have to say it, but it's obvious that that's what it will lead to. Massive overcrowding of young people in homes that are already 
overcrowded. It's why also, by the way, um, let me just put on record, I did not suggest. I've written a book of over 250 pages. I did not suggest that the riots were solely down to smacking. <laughs> but I did say that one of the issues that my constituents raise with me is smacking because their reality is that overcrowding. Their reality is that estate with the drug addicts in the stairwell and the needles and the condition. Their reality is the knives and the gangs outside the window. Their reality as a parent is making that decision about how they help their children navigate those boundaries. And so I am deeply concerned that parts of the liberal left want to shut down that debate. They don't want to hear my constituents raising these issues. So let me just put on record, if you live in Muswell Hill, in a five-bedroom house, and you're a journalist, yes, you can run upstairs when your kids make noise. My constituents or many can't make that decision. And actually, the truth is, there are things that they fear that are gr much greater than a smack. And that is the issue that I was putting on the table on their behalf, because that is my job and I stand by the decision to do that whatever people may feel about the rights and wrongs uh, of, of smacking and again this is the context into which we have to be clear about the policy decisions that we are making and about the impact on people once we have made those policy decisions and you know I've heard what the NSPCC uh, put out in a statement wanting to see the banning of smacking but I have to say to them I wish they hadn't pulled out of Tottenham last year because they did and they need to be there on that stairwell with that parent if they're going to make decisions like that it seems to me um, I don't think that we should be handing as the government is handing nine billion pounds of private money uh, uh, or, or private, uh, or public land, sorry, into private developers' hands. Because I do believe that housing remains the critical issue in London, affecting black, Asian, and minority communities uh, greatly. And we do need a co community land trust ensuring that there's affordable housing. We need a seriousness about the housing shortage um, in this country, and we need to recognise how relevant this is to the pressure that can build up, it seems to me, in constituencies like mine. And when we talk about employees on the remuneration committees of these companies, again, let's see the face of who those employees are. Let's think about the CEO of that supermarket earning 500 times what the cashier of that supermarket earns and think about who those cashiers are and think about how we get greater equality because actually when decisions are made 
around the table for who gets what in that company. Those um, with the lowest wages in that company are around the table with those with the highest. That is, in the end, what, what, what I was arguing for in the book. It's currently what Ed Miliband is arguing for in the Labour Party. And again, that will have an effect uh, for uh, black and minority ethnic communities um, in this um, country. Flexible parental leave. I'd like to see far greater scrutiny of the way that the internet works in relation to young people. I'm concerned about some of the advertising to young people that we see on television that I talk about in the book. I've touched on the culture that affects parts of my community in uh, an inner city context. Again, mentoring. Boris Johnson could only recruit 21 people to mentor inner city boys. Given the scale of the challenge, the sorts of statistics that we have, the urgency of that subject, that is, the word pathetic is not even worth that number. He said he would find 1,000. We need some serious, it seems to me, if necessary, tax breaks and other things to put a real rocket under the ability to recruit mentors and have mentors working alongside young men in constituencies like mine. So I wanted, at this point in our history, to both say there are similarities to some of the debates we've had in the past, but there are profound differences to say that, yes, some of them are about issues of equality, racism, and discrimination. It seems to me there's an urgency around the issues that are to do with inequality. But actually, um, there are also a set of cultural evolutions to do with where we are now in 2011 that are posing profound challenges. And those are as much challenges to communities and individuals as they are to governments. Thank you very much. Well, David did promise us a, a broad-ranging uh, lecture, which covered uh, the last 30 years, uh, several areas of social policy. Uh, it's full of ideas. Um, we've got about uh, 20 minutes uh, for, for questions. Um, if Did you I speak for that long? Sorry. Oh, no, no worries. Um, if you could uh, raise your hand, um, tell us who you are and whether you uh, represent an institution or not and keep your questions as short as possible so that we can get as many in. I'll try and take two or three rounds. So uh, the first hand I saw was uh, the one uh, gentleman in the grey grey top just behind you there. Yeah, nice to see you again, David. Uh, Mike Roberts, uh, councillor from Aldershot um, and also an LGA member uh, from the Red Corner, so you know what that means. Um, the, first, the first point... Uh, results in both you and I attended Hogan Brown's um, presentation. He talks about professional stop and search, but everybody was bemused in the audience as regards what that meant. Um, what, what do you believe it means? The second point is when I did a convention um, and did a report to Yvette and others 
uh, about three weeks ago, um, one of the issues being raised by people from Bristol, Leeds, and various other places that were there, including Tottenham, was why has there been no public inquiry, or even the Labour Party putting forward an independent public inquiry into what happened last year? And the biggest issue um, concerns, which you've hinted at, um, discussions with Lord Victor from Turning Point, and you know who that would be as well, he and I both believe that when we come to the Olympics this year, uh, there will be another Paris issue arising, namely that regretfully the riots or the civil disturbance will break out because the basic issues are not, haven't been and will not have been tackled. Um, in fact, I believe that that is almost certain. What's your view on that one? Thanks, Mike. Can I take a couple more? Um, there's uh, one more in the same row, just at the far end of that row, and then we'll take this one in the middle. But... Um, hi, my name is Cesar Franco. I'm like nobody, um, just myself. Uh, the question is, and it's going to be very short, uh, you mentioned there might be riots again. Do you predict there might be maybe in a year, two years' time? How soon there might be? Thank you. Cool, thanks. Are you going to leave? <laughs> There's a point here, in, point here in the middle. Do you My name is Roger Goff. I worked for 30 years in the Metropolitan Police and retired in 1993. Um, I'm going to excuse you, Mr. Lamy. Um, I came from Gloucestershire. I'm sorry to intrude on your wonderful city. But um, in, in respect of your forgiving phrases afterwards, um, I forgive you. Let's move on. When I, uh, when I was in training, we had a class of 12. Seven were from Scotland. I don't think we've, uh, we've done too bad. Anyway, um, I'm here because I'm concerned as well. Uh, let me talk about gangs. Uh, there's one not too far down the road who didn't receive the uh, judicial um, walloping that they deserved over expenses. People look at the media and they see people at the top of the tree getting away almost scot-free. There is the real problem in this country, if anyone was to collate it, would be the corruption of the judicial system. I'd like to know what Parliament is going to do about it. Thank you. Cool. And maybe just take one more from over, over here and then ask David to respond. So, gentlemen here in the hats. Thank you. Uh, my name is Ifai Adogwu. Um, I'm a trainee barrister. I uh, just want to thank David Lemmy for his pertinent thoughts and I fully endorse his uh, thoughts on discipline as well. Um, my question is, it relates to something he said earlier about the cap on benefits. Um, while I, I admit I don't know the structure of, of what's uh, been proposed, but what, what, what does, what's his thoughts on um, benefits being up to 30,000 30, or 50,000 being awarded to, to some families and, and what values does that instill in, in, in the youth and, and what, what is the incentive to work? Great. Thank you. Can I come backwards because that was a wonderful point put very, very well. Um, it, you realise that if you support the position I've outlined on smacking, you may not get tenancy in a liberal um, criminal set, so be careful. Um, the, 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 um, 
I, I do think that there has to be a cap. I do. Um, I do think that there are parts of our community that are playing the system. Uh, and again, um, this is an issue that ordinary people raise in my constituency because they can see it happening. And I think it's a mistake um, for the left to pretend that that isn't happening in some uh, ways within our country. It is, and we, sh we should and have got to do something about it. But equally, um, um, we should not um, caricature the system and give the impression that everybody is living in a mansion um, uh, uh, due to the Exchequer, because that would be a complete caricature. And I think that if you are being a diligent government, you should pay as much attention to the undeserving rich as you do to the undeserving apparently poor. And we're not seeing that. So some of this is how you calibrate it. And then when you get into the detail, you've got to be clear that you're not setting up policies that will fail and actually cost the Exchequer more. The overcrowding and homelessness could well cost the Exchequer a lot more, medium long term, if it goes badly wrong. The level of the cap is important. And I happen to believe, because I've got the highest homelessness in, in, in London in my constituency, that you um, really have got to have something to say about slum landlords. And of course, we've heard nothing from the government on the issue of slum landlords, on policies like rent control, because in the end, this isn't money going to people, the housing benefit cap, it's money going to landlords. Uh, and if you've spent any time in some of what is apparently um, uh, in the, I'm not sure we're still the fifth richest uh, economy um, in the world, I think we were overtaken by Brazil very recently, but nevertheless, it, what we see in this city passing for housing is shameless, frankly, and, and landlords are picking up that money, not those individuals. So it's complexity, but I certainly accept the thrust uh, of what you have said, um, uh, and that's why I think that the Labour Party has arrived um, in, in broadly the right place. Um, I, um, uh, the judiciary, very hard, isn't it, for uh, uh, politicians to start um, in, a, in a democracy uh, to, to, to start um, down the road of challenging the judiciary. Um, all I would say is that um, it's a bit like the Met, isn't it? How connected the average judge is um, to my community, I wonder. And I reflect that in, in, in states and cities like New York, and for a period I uh, uh, worked as a lawyer in America, judges have to live in their district. How different things would be. Um, but I think I probably ought to rest there, except to say that I think that um, the, the, uh, it is absolutely the case that some of the um, real exploitation of MPs, of bankers, is connected to what I said, you know, is connected to what we've seen by some of the rioters. It's a me, me, me culture. 
and actually equity and fairness means justice across the piece. Um, so it's fine, it seems to me, it's not fine to open the courts through the night for one group in society, but apparently another group in society gets off scot-free. Uh, that is deeply unfair. Um, it seems to me brutally unfair that the banks are too big to fail, but whole communities are allowed to sink without trace. Um, brutally unfair. And I, I, I believe that this issue, this deep inequity, is at the centre, really, of a lot of the anxiety that's growing and building in our country in all sorts of ways. You see it in the occupied movement, um, for uh, example. I think what Bernard Hogan uh, is suggesting is intelligence-led um, stop and search. Um, uh, and we, we, you know, I'm, we need to wait and see what, what, what he means by that. Um, uh, I think he, he clearly understands that if you lose the trust uh, and commitment of many young Londoners who have never seen a knife in their life, um, he's going to make policing very tough. Um, but my challenge back is I'm worried now about this them and us that's growing up when people talk about the police. And I'm worried about this slight overemphasis on community reference groups. Because it seems to me if the police were getting right recruitment, um, they would be from community and plugged into community. They wouldn't need a reference group um, quite in the same reliant way that they do. Of course, you need that scrutiny, but I worry about that. And of course, uh, the Met is very much a national force. There will always be, and should always be, officers from outside of London in the Met. Absolutely. But it looks like the balance is going completely in the wrong direction. And we just aren't getting enough officers from London coming through or enough officers that live in London because of some of the changes that were made to police housing. And I think that that is a problem um, for, for the Met. That's why I keep um, raising it. Yes, there should have been a judicial inquiry. Um, we've had the inquiry by Dara Singh and the panel. Um, there should have been a judicial inquiry. But you know what? I'm getting to the stage where Scarman, Gifford, McPherson, how many inquiries do we need? I just think people want some of this stuff fixed permanently. Let's get on to some new issues. I have to say, um, I have huge respect, obviously, for those really concerned with stop and search. But for someone like me, this is such an old policy issue. Uh, to be arguing about this issue 20-odd years, to have been looking at this issue when I was a law student, um, you know, well over two decades ago, and to it still be on the table feels tired. There are new issues that we need to really be deploying our attention to, and it's deeply frustrating that the system has not understood that, and we still have these old chestnuts that we still keep coming back to and still making a mistake in relation to. Cool. Time for one more round of questions, and those upstairs as well. So... While you make your way over, take one from down here. There's a uh, young lady there in the grey top, I can see. Yep. So we'll just have this question first and then we'll come to you upstairs.
Um, hi, my name's Rakesha. I'm 15 from Waltham Forest. Um, I just wanted to ask, like, I know you've said a lot about, like, what you know is going on and a lot of things, like, you know, that the cuts and everything and about the streets and areas and all that, but what exactly are you planning to do? Because as a young person that spends a lot of time in Tottenham, I do, I'm in Tottenham nearly at least three times every week, so, and I'm on those areas that you're referring to, so what exactly are you planning to propose to change the area? Thank you. Hi, thanks. My name's Francesca. Um, and you touched on this a little bit about police representation, but um, in terms of parliamentary representation, um, hi, I'm <laughs> um, in terms of representation in Parliament, it's only about 35% uh, BAME. And in London Assembly, it's even less, like around 15%. And you mentioned Barack Obama, and one of the reasons that he won was because the Democratic Party actively reaches out to young people and ethnic minorities. And I was just wondering if you could share with us a little bit about what's happening at a community level in Tottenham um, in terms of enfranchising the youth and minority representatives. Um, minorities and also people who are economically marginalised and also what the Labour Party is doing too. Thanks. Thank you. So just a couple more questions down here. So, gentlemen, they're in the white jumpers. I haven't had that for a while. I'm Luke and I'm a student. I was just wondering with regards to the recent... Over here. <laughs> with regards to the recent overcrowding in prisons and the number of re-offenders that were re-offending in the riots, do you think the government is still adequately doing its role in preventing reoffending? Um, hi, I'm Kola. I'm a first-year medical student at KCL. And my question to you is: You've put yourself in a position where you are probably the most prolific politician representing an ethnic minority in London. I think Diane Abbott would take issue. Okay, <laughs> but do you have any aspirations to take your sort of take your impact not just in the Tottenham area, maybe to running for Mayor of London or a more sort of prolific job in the Labour Party? Because I think that would significantly help in the I thought you problems. were a medical student, not a journalist. <laughs> cool, so let's <coughs> respond to those. Good set of questions. Um, In, in, in relation to my constituent from, from Tottenham, um, this is a time in which I, as a member of the opposition, have influence. You know, I, 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 I do get to speak to the Prime Minister. Um, I do get to speak to the leader of the authority, Haringey. I do absolutely have a hotline to the borough commander and to the Met Commissioner, but I'm not in power. I'm not in power. And um, so this is a moment that relates to the second question. This is a moment where one of the reasons why I didn't accept a job in the shadow team for my party is because I didn't want the burdens of collective responsibility at this time. I wanted to be able to speak my mind. And the truth is the Labour Party needs to quickly discover what it means to be a movement again. Um, because a movement is not just about the leader of the Labour Party. 
A movement is about the thousands of people that stand behind that leader. It's a movement for change, and we need change in our society. Um, I worry that some of the issues, some of the social cultural changes I talked about in my speech has led in some ways to an atmosphere of entitlement amongst some young people, you know, in a period of growth, and you can expect to come out of university or whatever, and there is a job for you. That has changed. And um, this is a community where it's not just about what can you do, David Lammy, it's what we can do together. Um, and I have to navigate the corridors as power as best I can on your behalf, but we have to do it together. My number one position on Tottenham is simple. We have seen a lot of regeneration in the East End of London. It started with Canary Wharf. It's continued with the Olympics. Now Boris is talking about an airport. And in Tottenham and Edmonton, we have had none of that, and it has to stop. And that's why I insisted that Tottenham Hotspur were not going to move to Stratford. And I'm very pleased that they are staying. It's not just about their new stadium. It's about almost a billion pounds worth of investment that we need in the area. And my number one ask to David Cameron was jobs. Can we have a big public sector employer in my constituency? I'm talking about a passport office, a student's loan company, something that shows public sector commitment, because that's what we need, jobs in Tottenham. Um, I think that in the Labour period, we did a lot on public services, uh, hospitals rebuilt, schools rebuilt, real emphasis on standards. So I think on the public service side, Labour can be proud. More to do, but we can be proud. But obviously, there are wider issues around regeneration. Sadly, there are deep, profound issues in relation to our economy. These are bigger issues than Tottenham. Because even under the Labour government, we had a structural unemployment problem with some young people. We used to call it NEETS. It existed even in growth. And we haven't fixed that problem. And you don't have to be an economist to know that Europe is in deep doo-doo. What is Greece going to make in the 21st century? Spain. You know, 50% unemployment and rising. Italy in recession or moving into recession. France downrated. Our economy flatlining. This is a problem, a big problem for Europe. And it will be the poorest areas of Europe, including my own constituency, that bear the brunt of that. So part of what I have to do as a community leader is talk about and encourage quite a lot of resilience Many, many of London's communities come from very resilient cultural communities, white and black, entrepreneurial communities. We have to look also to ourselves and what we can do for ourselves, because in a time of austerity, as much as I can argue for investment, the truth is we have also got to recognise that we ourselves have to try and do things for ourselves. Uh, as my mother would say, you have to hustle, you know, you have to get on with it. So massive regeneration in Tottenham is necessary, but I don't want to underscore how tough the context is. 
talked about the Labour Party. It's got to be a movement again. Um, um, it, it's got to reach deep into community. And if it doesn't, it won't be re-elected. Simple. My view is the Labour Party, at its best, is the best collective uh, vehicle for progressive action in this country, at its best. It's a load of other things at its worst, but at its best, that's what it is. And that moment comes in waves. We have to rediscover that for a new generation and a new period. There's a sense of urgency, the speed at which we discover that. I'm not a politician that thinks that my party is the font of all ideas. I actually think that there are some great ideas in other political traditions, um, uh, including the Conservatives. Um, it should have been us that found a way to give people a stake in society with their own housing. And we left it to Margaret Thatcher to come up with her version. And we're slightly struggling with the lack of public housing as a consequence of that. If we'd done it, we'd have done it differently, but we weren't brave enough to do it. So uh, it is not solely our party that is the font of ideas, but clearly we have to be a movement again if we are to reach out uh, and, and bring on a new generation of young people. Although, yes, the Democrats in the States have, uh, have got some of this right, but they haven't got all of it right, actually. I mean, I think um, the number of... Uh, uh, African-American and Latino senators is not something to shout about in the context of the states. And huge inequalities at the bottom mean that we should not jump up and down about what we can learn from America because we must never forget that the great invention of the Labour government, the Attlee government, the welfare state, puts our country in many ways at an advantage and it's why we fight so hard at this time when we see the dismantling of that welfare state and an attempt to move back to a kind of pre-Victorian era in which we relied solely on society um, and on charity. Um, what am I going to do? Well, um, there is actually a very serious job of work to do in a constituency that needs me, I think, at this time. Um, and I take that job very, very seriously. The future in politics is not solely in my hands. It's in the hands of my party. Um, it's in the hands uh, of um, um, others. Uh, so we'll see. But at the moment, I'm very happy being the MP for Tottenham. We'll see what the future brings. Thank you. On that note, let's thank David Lammy for his lecture and answering our questions so openly. Could I, could I invite uh, Mr. Clive James, our, our chair, uh, the chair of one of me, to, uh, just to close off the evening? Uh, thank you very much indeed for, for being with us tonight. Um, Jim Rose and Anthony Lester founded Runnymede back in 1968 to nail the lie that is racism. And it's been great to see David you know, continuing with that radical tradition tonight.
and continuing to nail that particular lie. And remind us overwhelmingly that despite a certain lady who seems to be featuring in cinemas around the land, there is still such a thing as society. There is a common wheel and we forget that at our peril. And we do not want to continue in a me-me society. Um, if you're growing up in N17, um, it is already the case that if you have a black or an Asian surname, you're writing twice as many applications just to get an interview for a job. In N17, it's not twice, it's three times, it's four times, it's five times. So unless, unless we have that sense of social justice, unless people believe in the common wheel, unless we ensure there is an opportunity to get jobs, an opportunity to get decent housing, inequality is going to continue in this society. And we have to fight even harder now because we have a coalition government that believes that there is equality, that there is fairness, that there is justice. David has shown and reminded us tonight that that justice has still to be achieved. In Runnymede, we continue to work to identify the barriers to racial justice in the UK, and we seek to influence policy and practice in order to create a successful multi-ethnic Britain. To do that, we work in partnership with others, and tonight is no exception. Um, I want to thank the LSE, Department of Sociology, particularly Dr. Claire Alexander, one of, our, one of my fellow trustees, and the LSE events team for hosting uh, tonight's event. Um, there's a strange sort of synergy here. I actually graduated from this university in, in 1970, and I'm now chairman of London Metropolitan University, which has more black, Asian, and minority students than all the Russell Group universities put together. So my alma mater has a lot to do in terms of improving entry, despite the fact, I have to admit, I now live in Muswell Hill, David. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I particularly want to thank uh, David Lammy and his office and his bravery in actually coming here tonight because the whips are going to kick the shit out of him tomorrow. <laughs> um, but I promised to ring Ed Miliband over the weekend and sort of explain why he was here. Uh, I particularly want to thank Rebecca Waller and all the, the Runnymede staff and of course Rob uh, for chairing the event tonight. And a final and a special mention uh, needs to go to Pam Rose, and who's Jim's widow, and members of Jim's family who are present yet again uh, here this evening for one of our annual lectures. Our continued connection um, to Pam and uh, her family is a reminder of Jim's enduring contribution to race relations in the UK, and an inspiration to continue the mission that he uh, began to achieve racial justice for all in our society. There is a lot to do, as David has reminded us tonight. Let's maintain the fight. And thank you very much indeed for joining us tonight.